Therapy with my mom is intended for educational purposes only. Everything discussed on Therapy with my mom is not to be taken as a medical recommendation, but rather as personal and professional opinion. This podcast is not meant to represent or replace psychotherapy services. If you are in need of emotional assistance, please seek out a local mental health professional that can cater to your individual needs. Welcome to Therapy with My Mom, a podcast hosted by a mother and son who love each other very much. Aw, hi, I'm Julie Barkowskis. I'm a licensed clinical social worker, a certified addictions counselor, as well as a somatic experiencing practitioner. I've been providing therapy on an outpatient basis in my private practice for over 20 years. I'm Ryan Barkowskis, her son and a millennial that was graced with having two parents who are both social workers. This podcast is here to educate our listeners on the various aspects surrounding mental health. Our guests will include individuals who are going to share personal stories on mental health struggles, as well as professionals who can shed light on the array of therapeutic approaches. We hope you enjoy the journey with us. Welcome to our show. There's another thing that Ryan hasn't mentioned yet today. Okay. What is no. what is going on today that uh, you haven't mentioned? I mean, a few things. I don't know. You want me to talk about my day? <laughs> oh my what do you mean? Would that be helpful? <laughs> happy birthday, Mom. Oh, happy birthday, Mom. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Happy birthday. Wow. All right. Wow. We've got um, a Libra in the house. <laughs> it's official. I'm an awful son. <laughs> You're bearing the lead like like I had a big announcement. And so I was confused. Happy birthday, mom. It's a big birthday, announcement. Mom. Yeah. It's a big okay. announcement. I, 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 I. I know you would have thought of it like when mm-hmm. you woke up and yeah. then you, as soon as I, I got off the call, thing. I would have, I would have been like, wait a second. That's it's okay. Mom's birthday. Yeah. yeah. Yes. So, <laughs> so anyway. I get to see you in person very soon. So I yeah. know uh, that's exciting. Yeah. So yeah. it's, it's going to be a real celebration when I see you in three days. Oh, so. wow. yeah. 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 Do you two yes. not, do you live in the same, where do you both live? So for, for the context, uh, I live in Los Angeles on the West coast. Right on. My mom okay. is two hours ahead, still in the Midwest outside of uh, Chicago. It. I noticed, I noticed the time difference, right? A little bit, mm-hmm. just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right on. I don't okay. try to avoid her, but you know, it's just, it's the nature of our separation. <laughs> I miss right. it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, and, uh, what part of California are you in? I'm in uh, Berkeley, California. Okay. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I'm actually moving to Los Angeles um, next month. Wow. I'm moving to Berkeley next month. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> like, I don't believe that. I would love to go up. There. I recently started working yeah. um, part-time at uh, a climbing gym that I've belonged to for a while. Oh, right and on. We have okay. quite a few locations in the Bay Area and in Berkeley. Yeah. Uh, so oh, I'd right love on. to get up there to check those out. A little promo for the climbing gym there. Yep. Yeah. I don't get residuals <laughs> on this, but touchstone climbing. Uh, um, <laughs> royalty. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, I think it's just awesome that you were willing to be a part of our podcast today. So we really mm-hmm. appreciate that. Yeah. And I want to make sure I'm, 
Uh, how do you say your last name? I want to make sure I'm enunciating that correctly. <laughs> Thank am, you very I much. Yeah. Terrible. <laughs> My name is difficult yes. as well. Yeah. So, We're, yeah. We, we are victims of the same crime. <laughs> yeah. We are indeed. Um, I would also love to know how to pronounce your last names. Um, well, we'll but think about it. There's no Tamarchio. K in the Italian alphabet. So uh-huh. the CH acts as a cut. So Tamarchio. Is there Marchio. ever in the Italian okay. alphabet, do you ever ch- ever put like have a ch sound? We do, yes, but it's not CH. It would just be a C. It would be CC. CC. Oh, okay. Very interesting. Yeah. So Tamarchio. Yeah. Yes. yes, and we and we are Barkowskis. Mm-hmm. Barkowskis. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. What uh? What what cultural origin roots does that Lithuania. stem from? Lithuania. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's a fun Excellent. one. It's I just yeah. like how unique it is because it it's mm-hmm. a very small country, um, but it's fun just knowing the basics of that. If you see Kauskis inherently, we had a next door neighbor mm-hmm. named Sykauskis. So like the odds of living next to other people that had some Lithuanian heritage. Uh, but wow. K- K-A-S and K-U-S are very common endings, like the famous uh, football it. player Dick Butkus. That's a Lithuanian name. Ah, okay. Good to not know. To be, not to be confused with S-K-I, which is typically Polish. Yes. A lot of people think yes, Polish. That I know. That yeah, I know. Whenever I hear the, the, yeah. the, the, the speed, I know. All right. Or Polish. it's like a little squishy. People are like, mm-hmm. are you Polish? I'm like, yeah, but not, mm. not that name. <laughs> <laughs> so now, that, now that we've educated the listeners on mm-hmm. the uh, name, the origins uh, of names. Origins. Yes. Thank mm-hmm. you for helping me speak appropriately. Of course. Here, so We can tell them about who we have as our guest today. Is that what you were getting to? Yeah. Would you like to go ahead and do the introductions? My, I would. We have my amazing... kind son who remembers his mother's birthday. <laughs> yep. Thank you. That will be brought up multiple times this episode. Yeah, well, <laughs> as, as, as I've talked about not yeah. not making a person feel shame. Sure, sure. But you're you're distracting us from our guests. Listen. Oh, okay. back, back, back to the guests. Happy me. birthday. I love you. Our guest today is Samantha Tamarchio. She is a amazing helping professional that's going to talk to us a little bit about uh, sexual abuse and working with couples and victims of sexual abuse. Thank you for being with us, Sam. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. And I will add to that, that she's mm-hmm. also going to cover a variety of subjects of dealing with uh, issues of intimacy Yes, uh, and how that ties into um, things that can have to do with uh, sexuality, consent. Mm-hmm. Um, Full scope. And, Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm kind of like sitting here going, this is going to be a real education yeah. for, I think for all of us here. Yeah. So we're really looking forward to your wisdom here. Thank you. I'm looking forward to the dialogue <laughs> conversation with it. Yeah. So could you tell us right off the bat what uh, your license is or how you practice? Yes. So um, I'm an associate sex and relationship psychotherapist. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm about to be uh, licensed. Congratulations. Um, thank you. Yes. It's mm-hmm. been um, it's been a very long, beautiful journey. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot, a lot of hours put in. So California has the, um, it's 3000 hours. So it's the most in the country to, um, to meet for uh, clinical licensure. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm studying for my clinical, which is fascinating. I really do love the material, but it's a lot. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I have my own private practice and that's the the model that I work in. I also 
pre-pandemic would do a lot of um, workshops and speaking at, you know, conferences. And yeah. uh, that's something that I'm looking forward to, to doing more of now that things mm-hmm. are kind of normalizing a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that's, you know, that's kind of generally I'm a, I work primarily with couples as yeah. well as individuals. Um, LGBTQ plus um, couples is, is primarily um, who I work with, but sure. not limited to, of course. And, um, yeah, uh, mostly within, you know, sexual issues, concerns, mm-hmm. um, intimacy, uh, troubles and conflicts with communication and also sure. working a lot with sexual trauma and how that shows up in couples therapy. Yeah. I know mm-hmm. I mentioned, you know, um, you know, the historical sexual abuse or any sort of trauma, you know, that part of, yeah. uh, of your practice and in your therapy is important, but it doesn't have to just be that. Obviously there can be issues of communication of intimacy that aren't abuse related. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And, um, you know, but how that really shows up, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. communication oftentimes stems from, so primarily I work with an attachment based framework. Okay. So I work kind of with an attachment lens and attachment orientation, and I'm happy to explain more of what that is, sure. um, mm-hmm. as well as mm-hmm. a somatic one, a somatic orientation. So my yes. background, we're big fans um, of that here. <laughs> yes. Wonderful. <laughs> I'm an, a, yeah. I'm a somatic experiencing practitioner. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. yeah. I took um, my beginners training, my three, the three uh, beginner courses of, of that. Mm-hmm. And I really, really loved it. Um, mm-hmm. But then the pandemic happened and I did the one online and it just didn't feel the same. So mm-hmm. I kind of put it on pause for a while. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I can imagine that somatic work would be quite helpful with this kind of practice. If there's some physical yeah. intimacy issues, if there's the physical trauma that the body's hanging on to, you know, I, I would have imagined, yeah. <laughs> and hope that you you're seeing a lot of progress and, and finding this really, really fruitful. Yes, most definitely. Um, specifically because, you know, in our culture, we don't learn about what I like to call nervous system based languaging Okay. and, um, to really introduce couples to a different style of communication that mm-hmm. involves kind of body talk. Mm-hmm. and being able to understand the language of the nervous system is so important to yeah. understand when we're triggered, when we're activated mm-hmm. and when we're having, you know, a, a trauma response, because yeah. that's ultimately mm-hmm. what that is. It's a nervous system's right. response to a perceived threat. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting too. Um, when you talked about the attachment side of that, we're also the different styles of attachment. We have had someone on who talked uh, about that as well. Um, and she's worked with Diane Poole Hiller, who's done some work on attachment as well. Um, and is there something in particular that you notice with the clients that you're working with that ties into that work? Yeah. So my style of attachment, I mean, I've worked with them. I've done trainings in EFT, so emotionally focused therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, primarily in the works of Sue Johnson. Um, so I, I, and a little bit of Stan Tacton, but, um, mostly the works of Sue Johnson and, and kind of explored through that modality. Um, but then also what I've learned also in my, in my work with studying, um, Gabor Mate and kind of looking at trauma through the lens of attachment and also, you know, through the lens of how people regulate themselves. 
Mm. I'm really tying, you know, uh, attachment ruptures in relationship to the body. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that I find works beautifully in couples therapy because it happens in the room right there. And so it's a really beautiful kind of insight into the here and now, you know, when couples get into their cycles and their dynamics, you can slow them down and say, Hey, like, what are you noticing right now? Like, how, Mm -hmm. what are you feeling right now? What Mm -hmm. are you noticing in your body right now? And that really helps kind of slow them down and bring more awareness to the sensations that they feel. And of course, you know, how, I work with attachment is really, especially in the beginning and kind of getting an attachment interview um, is a really helpful insight into understanding, you know, how people's past history, but not just their familial history. I also look at, you know, their cultural and collective, you know, uh, milieus that influence their personal as well. You know, of course that influences their relational so I work also a lot with cross-cultural couples, um, and that's a very important lens to also perceive through. Yeah. Um, my girlfriend is currently in her master's program pursuing a, a license in marriage and family therapy. Um, awesome. yeah. And so, yeah, you know, hearing and reviewing some of her homework, I, <laughs> I, I certainly appreciate uh, when she has assignments that point out, like, understanding your biases and considering the lens and the cultural differences and all everything. Um, Mm -hmm. I wanted to ask, because it seems somewhat obvious, I would think you're working as a sex or relational therapist, you're working with couples, but could you tell us the instances that would require you to take one of the couples into an individual session? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah. Um, you know, I've, I've played around with how I do that. Um, so I used to do um, kind of uh, three sessions with the couple and then one individual session with each of them. And then we'll meet back for our fourth uh, couple session together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do that, but then I started to, to see how important it was for the other person in the couple to really hear the attachment interview. Mm-hmm. because how that, how that lands and how that is perceived by their partner is a really important part of the process and healing the attachment. Yeah. Um, and so I, then I started to shift it and kind of we'll, we'll do the attachment interviews still mm-hmm. with the partner next to them and kind of also bringing them into what's it like to hear that? I imagine you've heard this before, but we'll go more in depth and ask more kind of granular questions to understand their relationships with their primary caregivers, what that was like for them, Mm -hmm. what kind of the cultural overlay and getting deeper into the understanding of the milieu of their family system Mm -hmm. and how they related to themselves and their bodies Mm -hmm. in that time. Um, So I do individual sessions but I found that doing the attachment interviews that I do to understand the attachment kind of orientations of, of folks is to have their partner next to them. Cause I just found it a really important part of the process. Yeah. I would I imagine see a so. lot of value in that too, uh, especially for, from the standpoint of just really keeping the focus on we're working on this and there's no splitting there's no efforts to that there might be this like triangulation that might happen if Mm -hmm. you start uh, seeing them separately 
So I yeah. see that have some benefits yeah. to that. Yeah. And also, yeah. you know, around this topic, it's easy, I think, to fall into shame and with any conflict with your partner, you know, just put up your defenses and not be seeing their side. So totally. that, you know, totally. that opportunity to be like, let me ask you to elaborate and have your partner really just absorb this and try to yeah. understand your perspective is great. Yes. Yes. Cause that's a really big component too, is the part of the nervous system languaging that I talk about mm-hmm. also attachment languaging, you know, understanding the core unmet needs. Mm-hmm. So when we have, you know, insecure attachment in really any form, you know, it can be you know, avoidant, it can be fearful, dismissive, it can be whatever it is, the orientation. Right. If there is primarily insecurity within the attachment system, then it's really helpful to feel that sense of validation and that sense of acknowledgement um, from your partner. So there's a part of also the kind of uh, conscious conflict that I like to call it um, is, you know, leaning into conflict because conflict Mm -hmm. is so important and it really helps us prepare those attachment wounds. But in order to be able to do that is to slow down and to really empathize and to really understand and reflect back what you heard your partner say in a way that they feel seen by Mm -hmm. and that being a really important component in creating secure attachment and a healthy foundation. Absolutely. Yeah. The concept of mirroring. Um, Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Which is amazing. Which is big in EFT. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Can I ask, um, and feel free to respond however you feel comfortable, why you felt called to this discipline. Mm. Mm, yeah, thank you for asking. Um, I think it's it's really it's been a life journey, mm-hmm. you know. I'd say that the hero's journey, if you will. Um, you know, I, I started as a, as a dancer and mover um, at a very young age, and even though I was so in my body, quote unquote, and I mm-hmm. say that intentionally um, because I wasn't completely disassociated. Um, even though I was a a professional figure skater for many years. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah. And, um, I suffered some, some pretty significant injuries with figure Mm -hmm. skating. And, uh, I saw a psychiatrist after that, who was, um, a holistic psychiatrist focused in energy medicine. Mm. And the I was, was, it was really fascinating. She came as a recommendation from a family friend that my parents trusted. And so I was about 19 and, um, I went to her and Mm. I just had my whole identity wrapped up in my life as a dancer. And when that ended, given some significant injuries and kind of, it just, I was moving on from, from that, Mm -hmm. um, and working with her and she, reminded me, you know, she, she would work in a body centric way. Um, so I, we would do basic things like meditating with my feet on the floor and just focusing on my heels and focusing on my toes, pressing into the, to the root of the floor and just Mm -hmm. imagining myself grounding. And I had never done anything like that. Mm -hmm. And I realized, wow, I walk in the world incredibly disassociated and realizing that too, how, I didn't feel I walked with agency. I didn't feel I walked with even consent over my own body. Wow. And it was this kind of awakening, if you will, around, wow, like I didn't even know 
it, it, the word that comes to me is like allowed. Like, am I allowed to have ownership over my body? Am I allowed to say no? Am I allowed to, I was very in a part of that world as well. And growing up in a very traditional Italian patriarchal family, um, there was just a, 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 a fawning that I would often do that would keep me from understanding my own authenticity and my own ability to advocate for myself. So my early sexual experiences were not ones that I'm proud of in that I wasn't really sure it was happening Mm -hmm. and kind of waking up to that in my early twenties and getting really curious because I blocked out a lot of memories that were really significant and creating a lot of traumatic ruptures for me. Um, and finding it so fascinating and then going to college and studying psychology and getting really into Jung. Mm-hmm. Um, and then through that started to, you know, I moved into New York city and I started a kind of cultural art center called body actualized with some friends. Wow. Wow. And um, we would explore all kinds of, you know, body oriented movement practices and yoga. And we talked to, we'd have conversations around polyamory and, open relationships and nonviolent communication. And this was in 2012 and this was all so new to me. And Mm -hmm. so I was just really fascinated. Um, but then still holding, you know, around, wow, like how can I come into a better relationship with my own body, with my own sexuality and relationship with, with partners and and people. And, Mm -hmm. um, so I really started to, to explore that. And that took me on a very deep healing journey and started going to therapy and then went to therapy school. But in the the meantime, doing like performance art and doing body-based performance art that was really oriented around consent and boundaries and reclaiming of what I call sexual sovereignty and body autonomy Mm -hmm. Um, and exploring this throughout grad school. And really trying to orient, you know, my earlier kind of clinical trainee hours into, I just want to work with, like, I want to do sex therapy. I want to do work with sexual trauma. I want to, you know, really understand this through myself and my own story, you know, with other people. Um, And so the more I started to understand what was happening in my own body and really like claiming these parts of myself that were just split off from. Mm-hmm. as trauma does, you know, um, mm-hmm. uh, Gabor Mate, who is one of my, um, inspirations for my work talks about, you know, trauma is not what happens to you. It's what happens inside of you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so kind of a, a break in, in the, the security with yourself, you know, there's a lot of fragmentation and rupture that happens in relationship mm-hmm. with yourself. So mm-hmm. for me, healing and understanding sexual trauma or sexual abuse starts with yourself first. Even with the couple's work, like really orienting to what is your relationship with yourself Mm -hmm. and your own sexuality and your own body and your own understanding of what that is and what that means for you. Yeah. Um, So that's kind of my, my over uh, sight of kind of my, how I got into this. But um, it's really been kind of a lifelong evolutionary uh, um, unearthing, yeah. I suppose. It's incredible. <laughs> Thank you for being willing yeah. to share all of that with us. Um, well, yeah. it says a lot about uh, what we all need to be working on, too. Mm-hmm. You're, you're sharing some really good examples of that, too. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, we, I, I find often, and I didn't want to assume, but in the helping professions that, you know, the people that we've talked to have found themselves in, it was on a journey of healing themselves. Um, and so that's, that's often the case. And that is such an important journey, no matter the discipline, if we're talking about sexual history, or if we're just talking about your trauma, your unmet childhood needs, like, that's the thing I'm most in my head about it. I'm always just thinking about myself. What, ha- you know, what can I do to improve? What am I holding on to? What's dead weight? Um, mm-hmm. And to always, always be, you know, I, I've called one of our other guests, just like a seeker. And, and I love that, that mentality um, that a lot of the people mm-hmm. that we talk to yeah. really demonstrate. And so yeah. it's inspirational That's hearing your story as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You mentioned the yeah. terms, and I know you want to talk about like sexual sovereignty and body autonomy. Could you tell us a little yeah. bit about what that exactly means to you and how you're, how you're like incorporating that into your dialogue? Yes, most definitely. Um, I'll start with sexual sovereignty because, um, you know, uh, it's kind of evolved for me over the years. Uh, one of my mentors, uh, Dossie Easton, she wrote the book, The Ethical Slut, and um, I'm familiar with the title. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And she is an incredible elder in the field of sex therapy. She's one of the OGs, part of the sexual revolution here in San Francisco. Um, and I started working with her back in 20, 2018, 2017, 2018, mm-hmm. somewhere like that. And, um, you know, when we think of sexual trauma, you know, we, we think of, I'm, and my, even in my narrative, my sexual script was I'm a victim of sexual trauma Mm -hmm. and that she challenged me in quite significantly in what is it to go from victim to survivor Mm -hmm. and owning myself as a survivor is being able to reclaim my agency Mm -hmm. and my resiliency and really we, we, we talk of, and I've expanded on this in my own practice of finding our locus of control. So from victimhood, it's I'm powerless. And at times I will most definitely say that it's important to say I'm a victim of sexual assault or I'm a victim mm-hmm. of violence. Mm-hmm. And that's essential. And when one I feel is ready to understand how to reclaim their own agency, to really take back what was taken Hmm. is to say, okay, what is my locus of control? What little small thing can I take ownership over? Mm -hmm. How can I, and that's a really important part of trauma is because when our agency is fractured and we feel so powerless and unable to reach for anything that feels supportive, that one thing that we can find in ourselves is so essential in being able to come into a sovereign place Mm -hmm. little by little, like reclaiming that kind of sexual sovereignty is finding our locus of control, Mm -hmm. little small things that we can take ownership over, over time, build a sense of consistency and slowly a sense of security um, that can really help us reclaim our, our agency over our bodies, which allows us to be and walk in the world as, you know, a, a sense of, of, with a sense of body autonomy. Mm-hmm. Like my body is mine. I have ownership over how I walk, you know, how I 
what I want, what my needs are, how to advocate for that. You know, we also don't live in a culture that teaches us how to do that because we're very sex negative, sex avoidant, um, and repressive and oppressive. So it's already very hard for anyone, whether you're a man, woman, or it doesn't matter your orientation. Yep. It's a part of the collective trauma that we all experience um, when we walk in the world is, is um, you know, how to really advocate for our authenticity and our authentic needs, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to sex and sexuality. Yeah. I mean, you use that word many times and that's our $5 mm-hmm. word agency. We absolutely mm-hmm. understand the need for it. Um, yeah. And so important. I wanted to ask um, a question branching off a little bit, just something I've thought of knowing I've uh, previously talked to and attempted to start a podcast working with a um, someone who ran cuddle parties in the Bay Area. Oh, Are you cool. familiar with with cuddle parties and what's what's yeah. kind of your thoughts on that? <laughs> Yeah, right on. Um, that's fantastic. <laughs> um, so I think it, it's wonderful. I might just mention to my mom here uh, what this is. If it's not obvious already, this is very much consent focused, non-sexual intimacy practice of mm-hmm. of you know of just platonic cuddling and uh, like a, that shared experience, which I find so fascinating. Yeah. I also find so fascinating. Yeah. Um, and I feel that it's, mm, it's such a beautiful way because we live in such a separatist society. We're very much, you know, individualist Mm -hmm. when we can come together in a non-sexual way, Mm -hmm. um, and be share in physical intimacy with understanding of consent when that's really understood. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, then I find that such a reparative, beautiful, like practice to be in with community. Yeah. It you know, what's, can be what's so fa- healing. What's fascinating to me is that's what we did in college, but we didn't call it that. <laughs> that's amazing, Julia. <laughs> we, we were, that. you know, we had our male friends and our female friends and we were all like cuddling. <laughs> yeah. But, but I, I, you know, it's interesting to think about that was during a time where we're experiencing some separation from our other families. Oh, so sure. there is an interesting dynamic of how, you know, we also wanted uh, that connection, some form of physical connection that was safe, mm-hmm. but at the same time, yes. and it was, it, you know, we were cuddling with male friends or Cullen was, you know, it was, it was fine. There were sometimes people say, well, are you guys dating? And we go, no, we're just friends, you know, <laughs> we're just cuddling. <laughs> yeah. We're just cuddling, you know, but, but yeah. I can see what you mean by society having yeah. this judgment. Right. Well, then mm-hmm. there's something more. Totally. Yeah. 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 That's really beautiful, Julie. Would you find that there would be you know, and I know consent is more of the the language of today, but I guess I'm curious at that time for you, was that accessible or if someone was going to touch you in some way, would you feel comfortable to say, oh, I don't actually like that here. Or how about you touch me here instead of here? Or what was that like at that time for you? Can I, can I ask you that? <laughs> I'm curious. I was like, touch me, touch me. <laughs> so- <laughs> I was like, well, I have no, I, I don't care. Just touch me. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Context being is that I appreciated all the touch because mm-hmm. it was, 
in many respects, growing up in a large family, uh, I was treated with some affection, but I was just mm. happy to have affection. Sure. Like there was yeah. just this mm. receiving that, you know, the interesting about that is, you know, I, it, it just never was taught about consent. I did learn later on that on a cultural level, and I had done some work in a different way. Mm. Uh, and I read a book called um, Wounded Woman, Healing the Father-Daughter Relationship. That book oh. had the union quality to it oh, uh, about archetypes and so mm -hmm. forth and so on. And that I learned about some nonverbal uh, ideas of not even recognizing that I even had choices. Like I was like, oh my gosh, yeah. I never even was like, so you talk about consent was just even knowing, wait a minute. Yes. This never even came to me because it was like you said, in your family system, kind of designed that you weren't even told you had a right in this area. Mm -hmm. Right. And so Absolutely. that's kind of what you're, that's how I could relate to it when you were talking about that. Absolutely. So. Yeah. And there are, um, when you, when you speak to that, what comes up for me is the idea of, um, like verbal and, uh, nonverbal forms of consent. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. And that for me also goes back to, you know, nervous system. What do I feel in my nervous system? How can I communicate, you know, both verbally and non-verbally, how can I attune to? Yeah. And I think when it comes to those cuddle parties is actually a really good practice of attuning to both verbally and non-verbally, you know, consent-based practices, mm -hmm. consent-based language through the body, Mm -hmm. um, being a really important component of how we approach any kind of physical touch and intimacy, mm -hmm. platonic and not platonic. Yeah. Do you have specific advice you might have be giving to an individual or a couple if there is a specific issue around consent in a relationship? Um, mm. Like, do you give suggested dialogue? Do you like... Mm -hmm try to help them just kind of reframe or do you like go through the root of like, why are you even afraid of like asking this or feeling like you have autonomy over your body? What, what would be maybe yeah. a step or a tip that you would give to somebody struggling with that concept? Yeah. Um, so for me <laughs> that I would say, you know, yes, sometimes it is very directive like that mm -hmm. um, in my work. It can be, you know, what's in the way if you expressing what you need. Mm -hmm. And we'll, we'll go into that. And oftentimes we'll know because either they had, you know, a, a relationship with a caregiver in which it was completely inaccessible for them to express their need, you know, mm -hmm. for instance, mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, alcoholism or any form of addiction. If you have, uh, you know, a caregiver with a form of addiction, it could be very, very challenging as a child to, mm, there's often, often a hypervigilance there or a parentification that happens there. And so the child is completely disconnected from their authenticity and being able to speak their needs. So mm -hmm. again, we're, we're working with attachment um, and being able to understand that it's actually safe and okay for me to be authentic in relationship. I don't have to acquiesce. Mm -hmm. um, so for me, I, I, again, it comes back to the nervous system. Mm -hmm. And I work with um, a rating scale, mm -hmm. oftentimes with couples where, and I, um, within that, cause so I'll, I'll share, you know, how do you know when you're activated? How do you know when you're triggered? What does that feel mm -hmm. like in your body? We'll talk about that. You know, what happens for you? Do you shut down? Do you get really anxious? Do you, 
go into your mind and create stories? Do you, um, you know, do you fight? Do you completely withdraw and shut down? You know, to contingent on what happens. Um, you know, I'll work with like a one to 10, one, I'm not activated at all. I'm totally present and secure and I can, you know, uh, uh, it's, it's more accessible for me to understand what I'm feeling, you know, mm-hmm. a 10 being I'm in complete fight or flight freeze fawn mode. And there's just mm-hmm. no way I'll know anything of, you know, what's authentic for me. Cause I'm just mm-hmm. in a nervous system activation. And so I find it really important when we're talking about, let's say something triggering or something hard to then pick something that's not so hard. Mm-hmm. That's not so triggering to talk about and understand, okay, well, where are you right now? I'm about a five, right? What does a five feel like? Sharing that, you know, sharing that with me, but also sharing that with your partner. This is what I'm feeling right now. Okay. Um, so I find, you know, when we can integrate that into hard conversations, especially, but mm-hmm. um, that they can then take that with them and say, oh, wow, we're having this dialogue or, oh, wow, you're, you know, you're touching my inner thighs now. I'm an eight. Mm-hmm. That's a stop. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we slow down, we take a step back and we say, okay, what do you need to then downregulate? What do you need then mm-hmm. to self-soothe? And we talk about that in the room together. So then when they go, you know, home, whether it's in the bedroom or on the couch, you know, whether they're at the dinner table talking or, you know, engaging in something more, more intimately, um, they can be able to track the feelings and sensations in their bodies on this scale, mm-hmm. which I find to be helpful as kind of a way for them to assess, you know, oh, okay, I'm here now. Mm-hmm. So I can take a step back. I'm not at a 10. Ideally, we'd be able to stop at somewhere between a, a six to then take a step back and say, okay, can we slow down now? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I like to work with, with that scale in forms of consent because you can really only consent when you're not in an activated state. Yeah. When you're in an activated state, consent is very challenging. Yeah. Yeah. For that person to understand. Say. Yeah. Yeah. I was what just going to say, if you're frozen, and the uh, partner has no idea you're frozen, you're, you know, they could just proceed and you, you don't yes. have a voice. You mm-hmm. can't even say anything. Yeah. And so I could see why it would be important to even recognize that for yourself and also your partner to recognize that. Mm-hmm. And one yeah. thing too, all the time. Yeah. Yeah. One thing you also that. mentioned that I imagine can be so helpful is figuring out, okay, we reached that point. I'm now at an eight talking about, okay, how do we de-escalate? Talk about what you need. I think it can be very easy to get frustrated if your partner isn't able to communicate what they need in that moment. You're like, okay, I want yeah. to respond to you appropriately, but what do you need? But you haven't worked on that dialogue. You haven't practiced how to de-escalate. And so the other person's just like, I don't know. I just need time. And the other partner just, might just be like, oh, this again. And then, you know, yes. then mm-hmm. they're just leaving. That's so, the cycle. Yeah, exactly. The Again, part of the cycle. It's just mm-hmm. the unmet needs of them. They're they're upset because they're not getting their thing and you're not yeah, willing to totally. have safe conflict like you were mentioning. Totally. Well, I think the yeah. idea around time is is so important in terms of healing. So mm-hmm. if, if if you could just say, I just know sometimes couples will say, well, we're never going to talk about this or we're never mm-hmm. coming back to this. So, so the idea that the other partners is saying time means never mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's you know like i'm not we're not ever going to resolve this they kind of go sure. to the other extreme sure yeah so yeah i want right. to pivot just a little bit um just on thoughts i have on consent relating i think a little bit more to say with a partner that you aren't uh, actually dating 
you know, maybe, maybe a new relationship or a hookup or something mm-hmm. of that nature. Yeah. Um, certainly in my immaturity and my, um, lack of confidence, I didn't have the dialogue within me to even like ask a girl out verbatim. Right. You know, I didn't have the tools to make a move in that way that felt confident, but certainly safe and secure. Um, so, you know, I was, I'm sure my MO most of the time was go for the desperation kiss, you know, see, see if that works out. Um, and 50% of the time it can work other half the time, it's not going to work, but then you have to be okay with that rejection. You have to be very prepared for both outcomes and be okay with that. And so having experienced, you know, the positive or the, the rejection of that then has really educated me to be like, okay, I'm okay. Then being told no. And I got my answer. I'm at least satisfied within myself that I made an attempt, although maybe it wasn't the best move to just jump into a kiss right away, but they were very mature. They at least took the the reins to say, I don't want that for us. I just want to be friends. And I was like, okay, cool. Thank you for being very upfront with me. Uh, and then our friendship continued as normal. Um, but you know, that takes a little bit of time to reach that level of maturity. Certainly. Totally. Encourage. Yeah, absolutely. But I think, I don't think this happens as much. There's not so much, at least in certain very progressive areas and in societies that there's this bravado of like, Oh, asking for consent is so unsexy. I think that's a really dumb thing that we can hear from time to time. And it does not have to be, you can, you can so easily find a fun way to say it or call it out. I'll, I'll be vulnerable just to share the one thing that I I get to say with my partner is we frame it as, uh, would you like some loving? And that's so sweet. I love that. It's just, it's a nut. It's a softer way, uh, to just address it and be like, how about this later? And be like, okay, yeah. And so that's, that's like our, our signal for it. Yeah. That's a beautiful way. See that right there mm-hmm. is kind of, you know, what you have with your girlfriend is kind of the reflection of the culture of your relationship together, mm-hmm. which you found what works for you. Like, Oh, that's, would you like some loving? Like that's connective. That's mm-hmm. direct, you mm-hmm. know, with, I imagine the two of you understand what that means for each yeah. other. Um, and a really beautiful way to just check in. Yeah. It's like, well, not today, but maybe, maybe in a day or two being like, cool, happy to have, you know, like it's, it can be frustrating to schedule things for the, for the future. Right. But yeah, so important Mm -hmm. if you, if you have both of your individual needs and frustrations Mm -hmm. that you're like, if we can prepare for this, maybe we can be both in a good mindset and space to, to be intimate at this time. Totally. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I find that that's really important and something too around the bravado that you spoke to around consent isn't sexy. (laughs) Um, I've worked a lot on, okay, how do we make consent sexy language Mm -hmm. and how can this be accessible? And, um, you know, there's also something of like, oh, having real hard direct conversations isn't sexy. Well, I also want to reframe that too, Mm -hmm. because I personally find very sexy, um, but exactly what you were sharing, you know, around, Ooh, how would it feel for you if I kissed you, mm-hmm. you know, or how would it feel for you if I touched you here? Yeah. 
there's a yeah there's a directness to it that i think some people might really enjoy the confidence and the explicitness you're like oh okay and then it builds an expectation it can be certainly a a a game of foreplay there Mm -hmm. totally absolutely and of course rejection is a big part of it because it might be it it wouldn't feel good for me actually for you to touch me right now Mm -hmm. and it's wow okay that's rejecting and rejection is is hard it can be you know it can trigger a lot of things for a lot Mm -hmm. of people in different ways um and so the self-soothing and not creating cases against yourself around Mm -hmm. oh no like they don't they don't like me they don't find me attractive it's it's not making it personal and Mm -hmm. that's a really important thing it's not Mm -hmm. making you know when someone shares a no yeah someone Mm -hmm. shares a boundary to not internalize that personally yeah say this actually has nothing to do with me it's about them and that's okay yeah and that mm-hmm. can be really hard you know one of the things that we talked about before has a lot to do with even how we approach something from a standpoint of curiosity because we know if we approach it mm-hmm. from curiosity yeah. we're usually outside of the trauma zone mm-hmm. and yeah, and right. so so when you were saying how would that feel that sounds like a curious question mm-hmm. as opposed mm-hmm. to um I would like to kiss you. Would that be okay? And that doesn't sound like a curious question, mm-hmm. if that makes any sense, you mm-hmm. know? So I just think it's, you know, not that, not that it's not an appropriate question. It just mm-hmm. might feel. It is the framing of agency there. Yeah. That yeah. is, that is exactly. one person saying, yeah. I want this. And as opposed to, uh, would you like this? So it's, yeah, it's I'm wondering, I'm wondering, or, you know, yeah. it's not a, it's not this idea that there's an expectation or there's mm-hmm. an outcome yes. required. Yes. Yes. Or, or yeah. Absolutely. Or yeah. Here are the terms. Here's, here's what's about to happen or what I'd like. And the person being like, I have this expectation. Yeah. Would you like to fulfill this? Yeah. yeah absolutely. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and you're like, ah! <laughs> attachment, attachment. Ah! And not that we're trying to take off the table our mm-hmm. expectations. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I really love that, Julie, like leading, leading with curiosity, yeah. you know, leading with inquiry around how would it feel, you know, questions that are more spacious and invoke curiosity exactly mm-hmm. are really important part of also getting to know someone. Sure. Intimately, sexually, even just platonically. Yeah. If you can maintain that, you know, that might be some of the honeymoon phase of like a new sexual relationship. Yeah. Um, but that, you know, that curiosity when you're first understanding your partner's needs and their likes, I think is, is some of the most exciting times when you're like, I'm really getting to know this person on a level, obviously, that they don't share with other people that they don't trust. Yes. And so that yes. can that can be something you extend over time if you're comfortable exploring that within yourselves. This might be a good segue to talk a little bit about incorporating self-pleasure practices. Um, mm, yeah. how maybe, you know, on both sides of whether that's reclaiming, uh, you know, something through yourself or figuring out what you like just to tell your partner, oh, okay, well, let me guide you. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That's really yeah. exactly what it is and how, you know, I look at self-pleasure practices really not even just sexually really kind of being in intimacy with your own body. And that can be through really anything like how you experience sensation and pleasure in your body mm-hmm. and pleasure can be it's for me I look at it it's very expansive because I feel pleasure when I 
just am outside in the redwoods, you know, smelling the the crisp air. And right now it actually feels like like autumn here in the Bay Area. So mm-hmm. the air is really crisp and it smells sensational and there's a chill in the air and it's just so pleasurable to walk outside. That's a nice scene right there. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, it's okay. I'm not going to, I'm going to put my phone away. I'm not going to listen to music. I'm just going to go for a walk Mm -hmm. and just notice my sensations. You know, what do I feel in my body as I'm walking in the redwoods? What am I smelling? What am I hearing? What am I tasting through the smells that I'm sensing that I'm catching? You know, what is, how are my feet feeling on the ground? I, I try and, and integrate these what you know practices or meditations really Mm -hmm. um so i like to look at kind of pleasure practices as forms of you know self-meditation around sensation and pleasure Mm -hmm. and of course that can then be applied to so if we're working with sexual trauma and the idea of touch even self-touch or self-pleasure genitally is really off the table we'll start with something like that you know, what's it like for you? Like, when do you feel the most joy in just a small moment of your day? Yeah. Could be drinking your coffee. Okay. Then let's take that as a meditation and we'll kind of create a little practice and we'll do that over time. And then we'll choose something else. Okay. What's it like for you to, you know, maybe use some hot oil and just give yourself, you know, uh, a foot massage or just massaging your legs. How does that feel? And if that's completely inaccessible, we start with the things that are, yeah. Mm-hmm. which are another kind of thing I like to work with that I call accessibility containers. So understanding whether it's working with someone who's had a history of sexual trauma or just, you know, different desire orientations. I work a lot with desire discrepancy in, in partnership and couples therapy mm-hmm. um, and understanding, okay, what is accessible? Yeah. So we'll just literally make a diagram of, what's accessible, you know, and write it all in the circle and, um, okay. It's accessible, you know, massage or, you know, um, bathing in Epsom salt together or alone, or Mm -hmm. just really understanding, you know, things that you can meditate on with yourself and, or with your partner are ways that you can, you know, find access to your body. Yeah. And then you build on that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, I think that also ties into when we talk about um, somatic experiencing work, uh, a lot of times we're working on that realm of area where there's no activation. And then there's a little bit of the edge of the activation. And sometimes, uh, I mean, I love what you're talking about, but I think about also the work that I uh, do with people. And sometimes I'll just ask them if they, if they are, if there's an ability to just touch the outside of that edge Mm -hmm. and kind of hang out there and see if within that tolerance right to see what what they notice starts to come up which could be emotions that that are still sitting there or uh other incomplete defensive responses and so forth Mm -hmm. and so on that are locked in the body around these events so exactly yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I love what exactly. you're doing because I do think it just really begins to say, here's all the good stuff we can do. Yeah. Um, and in somatic work, we talk a lot about bringing in all those soothers and settlers exactly. around the activated mm-hmm. place. Right. So yes, beautiful. Yes, exactly. That's exactly it. 
Amazing. Um, we're approaching the end of our allotted time here. It's amazing how fast the time has gone. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, I'm gonna bring us towards the end. Uh, I could ask one more final question, unless you want to address anything else you feel like we didn't cover today. Um, you know, I feel, yeah, I, I feel like we we briefed on a lot of the, the things, a lot mm -hmm. of really great things um, that kind of stem from you know, intimacy, sex, sexuality. And there's so much more. I mean, we could talk about yeah. this for hours. So yes. <laughs> yeah, I well, could keep going with this, this dialogue yeah. for hours. So bring yeah. her back on. We'll yeah. have her come back. We got on. some recurring we'll guests here. Yeah. 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 Um, so. My final question I wanted to ask, I'm not sure if we covered this entirely. You talked a lot about having partners come in, talking about their narratives or, uh, you know, how they feel when they reach certain areas in front of you. But outside of the office, how would you possibly encourage someone to approach this vulnerable dialogue when they're just at home? Yeah, so um, really depending upon you know who it is, what the activation level is, you know, I have mm -hmm. some couples that I say, you know, we, we focus our emphasis is more on self-soothing and finding ways to regulate throughout the week. And then we have the hard conversations in the therapy room. And then once they can kind of regulate in a therapy room around these hard conversations, then we can have them or they can have them outside of the therapy room yeah. just to minimize the, the rupture and the activation throughout the week. Yeah. Um, because, you know, depending upon who it is. Um, but I like to work with what, again, I, I like the word container. I use it a lot, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but creating a container with a set dialogue, a set time. Mm -hmm. um, so say, you know, I'd really love to talk about, you know, our sex last night. You know, is there a time that you have available that we can talk, you know, that we can set aside for that in the next yeah. few days? Yeah. Because oftentimes what I see and what I know is not a part of our learnings unless you have this was modeled to you in youth. But, um, you know, you have someone that you have a partner, mostly maybe the anxious partner or it can shift, of course, with different topics for different things. But um, someone who wants to let's say I really want to talk about our sex last night mm -hmm. and you kind of have come with an immediacy. This needs to happen now. And then the one partner is like, Oh God, like I don't have capacity for this and kind of shuts down. And then you have that kind of pursuer withdrawal or dance, and then yeah. it kind of escalates. And then you go into this, the cycle again. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so when I see that happen, which it happens all the time, and um, it's kind of one of the prim primarily one of the things that I see is okay it's important for whoever wants to talk about that to, to be able to express it. But it's also important for who maybe to the person who's on the other end of that receiving that to say, I hear you, you know, validation, acknowledgement. I don't have capacity for that right now. Can we set a time? Mm -hmm. So then that gives that partner who wants to be met, you know, with that immediacy, I want to talk about this now can say, all right, you know, capacity for it, but they said they would set a time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So they're not right. going to drop it. I'm not going to be abandoned. I'm going to be addressed yes. and we'll talk about it. Yeah. Doesn't mean that there's not going to be the, you know, abandonment feelings coming up, but sure. that's your work. That's that partner's work to self soothe. Yeah. Mm -hmm. While the other partner's work is to lean in and say, let's set a time in the next few days to talk about it. 
for sure. So that's, that's what I encourage and what, you know, we, we do mm-hmm. when that happens, which takes work because if, you know, um, I have this in myself with my partner around, like, I want to knock it out now. <laughs> it's like, okay, <laughs> not going to talk about it. It's fine. I can self-soothe, but we're going to talk, we're going to talk about this. You know, yep. we're going to set a time Yeah, and we do that. And so it's okay. Moving on. Um, then I can feel like, okay, I can be with my own stuff and I can actually deescalate a little bit. So when we do talk about it, it can be a bit more regulated and we can feel a bit more connected when we're Absolutely. in the dialogue. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's well said. So, well, mom, do you want to take us to our final question? Uh, well, thank you for asking uh, that question of me. <laughs> Would you like to, let me ask you for consent of asking someone else a question. Well, usually we ask if there's a mantra or a sense of uh, philosophy that you live by that we like to share with Mm -hmm. our listeners. Uh, And uh, was wondering if you had something that that you find that's important in your daily life uh, that you'd like to share. Mm, That's a beautiful question. I really appreciate that. We're beautiful people. (laughs) (laughs) I agree. This has been fun. Um, Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's really, I mean, a mantra that I say to myself all the time is it's okay to slow down. Mm-hmm. It's okay to slow down. Um, that's a, that's a big one for me. Cause, yeah. and I think our, you know, our cultural mindset is to do everything very quickly and to be very future oriented yep. and we kind of miss the present um, and that's been a big medicine for me over the last years too. It's okay to slow down. It's okay to feel my body. Mm-hmm. It's okay not to feel my body, yep. but can I just give myself some time to just be present? Mm-hmm. And so the, it's okay right. to slow down is kind of the, the, the catchphrase for me to do that. That's lovely. Very Fantastic. lovely. Yeah. You know, I've... one of the questions that I, I should say most of the time we ask is uh, about any suggested literature, books, reading, mm. uh, resources that uh, our listeners might find helpful or interesting in this subject. Yes. Um, Emily Nagowski's Come As You Are is a very, very wonderful book, especially when you're dealing with desire discrepancy um, or kind of low, low desire. Um, I would even, I have a... I have some feelings and even expressing it that way. Cause I really look at desire on a spectrum, non-hierarchically, um, but is a great book for that. It really talks in depth in a body oriented way. That's makes it really hmm. accessible to understand, you know, what might be happening for you and kind of a reframe um, in, in, you know, about, about desire and how that shows up at different times and different things and different ways in your life. So it's great. Um, the body keeps the score by Bessel van der Kolk. Mm-hmm. Fascinating, super wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, pleasure activism is a really great one. Um, and anything from Gabor Mate, really anything. Um, he wrote in the realm of the hungry ghost, but he really talks about ADHD and addiction as a form of, um, attachment rupture, early attachment rupture. Hmm. And another great one is, um, it didn't start with you, 
And that's Ooh, what a good oh title. Goodness. Oh man, Scott. Um, I forget, I forget his name. He's actually a psychotherapist in the Bay Area, but he talks all about intergenerational trauma and epigenetics. And that's very, very fascinating. Um, mm-hmm. and his story is very fascinating and how he talks about kind of the familial system and how even the impact we might walk in our lives with PTSD and not ever know it because we've never had a traumatic event in our own lives to mark it. Wow. Mm-hmm. So yeah. kind of talking about epigenetic trauma. Um, so those are, those are some great ones and I'm sure I have so many more, but yeah, that's the, is that Mark Wolin? I see the author. Mark Wallen. Yes. Wallen. There it is. Okay. Yeah. Then start with you. The author is Mark Wallen. Mm-hmm. That sounds very interesting. I've, I've done some, uh, epigenetic work, uh, likewise. Uh, so, that's great yeah, yeah it's so a, important it's another it's another realm that we're just starting on another topic that. another episode of the yeah. podcast yeah it's <laughs> such an important component for me and in, in my own life my own story you know yeah. I'm, I'm italian sicilian american and learning a lot of my own you know ways of how my family assimilated mm-hmm. has really impacted me in my own life a lot more than i ever anticipated especially when it comes to you know assimilation trauma mm-hmm. Um, but that's a whole other topic for a whole other time. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Well, Samantha, I want to thank you. This has been an excellent conversation. Um, I hope our viewers enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, Because I certainly did. Fantastic. Thank you for having me. It was such a pleasure to be here. You both are really wonderful. Mm -hmm. Ask such wonderful questions. I definitely Mm -hmm. feel a deep uh, intuition and kind of intuitive flow yeah. in which you both, mm. you know, move in and enjoyable. So thank mm. you again. Thank you. Yeah, really <laughs> lovely. I'll just say one final thing before we say goodbye to you and that's um, happy birthday, mom. <laughs> happy birthday julie <laughs> actually actually i was wondering if you have any questions for us because mm-hmm. uh that's been something that's been happening now sure. too that we find yeah sometimes people can open the floor questions yeah, yeah if you have something if you don't that's cool too yeah no, i do no what inspired yeah what inspired the two of you to create sure. this podcast together we have answered like, this question a couple of times so uh, <laughs> okay I, I, i'm happy obviously to tell you but can we um, come up with some can we come some else since we've already answered the question? Yeah, a different another, a different another, take on it. Like another um, edge. Sure. You know, I mean, I can answer that question. And also, if you have anything else you want to ask, no pressure. But <laughs> the the inspiration behind this is that my mom and I have always had good dialogues um, and we both very much value relationally uh, emotional maturity, all of that. And on a family vacation, she brought up the idea of us doing a podcast together. And um, I jumped at the idea because I like that much more. And with my ADHD, it's much easier for me to engage in this way as opposed to like a writing endeavor. And so that's been mm-hmm. that's been uh, our work. And we've been plugging away at it for almost a year with prep and then obviously with recording. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I would just wonderful. I would just add Please that. Do. One of the things that you, I picked up on when we had that conversation is that you were talking about how you had hoped that your other ambition to start a podcast yeah. would have worked out with this other associate yeah. that we're, you just mentioned, right? Yeah. And, yeah. So for and, content, I'll tell Sam a little bit about that too. Um, yeah. Yeah. Can I? Go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. Finish. <laughs> you may finish. Right, would you, you like to finish? <laughs> 
thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, the uh, part of that was is that I I got the impression from Ryan that that would have been uh, something that he very much would have been interested in doing. He and I had already started talking about working together on a book. Mm-hmm. And so we were already looking at ways to collaborate and work together. And so when yeah. Ryan mentioned how, you know, that that had been a loss for him, I said, well, what about your mom? Yeah, someone <laughs> I can definitely rely on there. What about, what about us? What about us doing a podcast? So yeah. it was really kind of collectively uh, some brainstorming. Yeah. 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 And that, that, that was definitely a loss for me. I had um, met someone through a comedy class that I really connected with. You know, she came up with the idea of of like doing a podcast, and I was like, "Yeah, our conversation just flows so well. We're bouncing off each other so well. Let's do it." We take a class, you know, at a podcast network. We're shaping it a little bit, and it found its structure in the eleventh hour of that class, um, where we were both very comfortable talking about uh, our sexuality and experiences, but we wanted to be comedy focused and maybe include alcohol because that just made it easy for us to talk. Um, so the beautiful title of our comedy, uh, sex based (laughs) podcast was get fucked. And so we're Uh, drinking and we're, uh, we're talking about that's not about consent. That's not about (laughs) self-awareness. It is though. That's the irony. We, then, um, we recruited, uh, with the help of, uh, a producer at that network, Yoni Alkin is his name is the, um, the guy in the Bay area who does these cuddle parties. And uh, it's like a sex counselor. He agreed to like jump on and be like our expert that then we refer to. So like we did, you know, first episode masturbation. We talk about it. Mm-hmm. We, you know, mm-hmm. um, then ask him, you know, like audience questions, like as a sex counselor, how would you maybe talk about this stuff? Mm-hmm. So there's the educational yeah. component in yeah. every single thing in between mm-hmm. the comedy. And it was, I love that. It was it's off to like, a good start uh, up until then. Yeah. It just became scheduling conflicts and hard to hard to keep, you know, the partner down. So mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. I so get this that. is just a small piece today, a mm-hmm. small piece of that work that you were going to do. Yeah. Right. Okay. This, this podcast is a, a mm-hmm. part of that. Yeah. Less yeah. alcohol, slightly less explicit conversation. <laughs> <laughs> which is pg for your mom right yes, I, mean, I do it for you uh, yeah. i do it for you happy birthday by the way yeah yes <laughs> it's a birthday present it's a birthday present for you um but yeah that's that's the that was the creation of the the podcast kind of how it got started yeah yeah okay well, we right would on, love to have but... you back on some other time uh, mm-hmm. to talk about some of these other wonderful things that we've also kind of thrown out there. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that would be wonderful. Yeah. Until well, then. <laughs> until then, thank you again so much. It was such a pleasure to speak with the two of you. I really love what you're doing and thank your you. relationship and your flow. It's really mm-hmm. fantastic to, to be a part of it. Well, <laughs> We're you. so we honored. Appreciate, it. appreciate that. Yeah. Thanks for taking the time. All right, of course. Yeah. Well, take care. Take care. Thank you. Bye, Samantha. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I really thought Samantha's information was highly enlightening, Mm -hmm. and I really love the use of language and how she provided us with some 
ideas of some tools that can be used. Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to say that was really beneficial for me just to continue to grow in my own uh, development of yeah. how to address certain issues around this as well, sexuality and sure. Um, yeah. Sure. And like, just, I might've said this before, but I, you know, I'm, I'm such, such a reader of energy. She had such great energy mm -hmm. and like to have that, that person holding this space, be comfortable about what they're talking about, still be, you know, pretty vulnerable with us. Um, it's just very special. So when I feel like I, we had such a good connection with her, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's a great episode every time that we have a guest like that. So no, she was exceptional. Right. Quite soothing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think no, there absolutely. was a clear clarity there that just felt very calming and soothing. So, right. and you want yeah. that and you want that with your helping professional. Definitely. Yeah. Well, I just wanted to thank our uh, listeners for being a part of today mm -hmm. and want to wish you guys a great week. And I hope that this information will continue to enlighten you and how you treat one another and how you learn mm -hmm. about mm -hmm. yourselves. Is there anything else that you want to add, son? Just that same sentiment. You know, we hope this uh, sets you up for a good remainder of your week and that uh, you feel refreshed and confident. And, you know, we look forward to talking to you guys again. We look forward to talking to you guys every week. So thanks for stopping by. Take care. Bye, guys. Bye. Thanks for listening to Therapy with My Mom. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can best support us by reviewing and downloading the episode on whatever platform you listen on. Tell your family and loved ones about the show, and don't forget to follow and engage with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Therapy with My Mom. You can also email us at therapywithmymom at gmail.com with any topic suggestions or stories you might want to have shared on the show. Great job, Ryan. Thanks, Mom. <laughs>